Hello everyone. Hope you're all doing well. It's good to be back. Um, sorry I haven't made a podcast in a little while. I've been working on a Introduction to Buddhism course, uh, which I hope to release soon. Uh, what I want to do today is uh, focus a little bit on, now that we've gone through the six paramitas, I'll go into some other particular uh, Buddhist uh, ideas and teachings. But what I think is really important, the reason why I made this um, podcast, is that I really want people to get into the actual practicing of Buddhism and to experience the benefits. Because a lot of times uh, what I think happens, you know, one day we're into it, one day we're not. Uh, it's really important to have a consistency and also to kind of reform our minds as to what is good for us. I mean, what makes us feel good, what makes us uh, balanced. And when I say feel good, I don't mean in the, of course, in the uh, immediate feeling good, but what sustains us is, is a better way to put it. Uh, over our lives, which is what we have to go through, we have to experience, uh, we have to live. But as you know, things go up and down. Uh, sometimes we'll feel stable one day, the other day not. And again, you know, this happens to everyone, uh, you know, especially working on really hard projects. Uh, a lot of times you won't even know that you're becoming stressed or anything like that. But it's really important because one thing that I, I felt that I've developed, and this is part of the uh, experience, that it depends when you're down or when you feel unbalanced. How far you get with being unbalanced, that means are you aware that you're unbalanced? And then, and then what you choose to do when you're unbalanced, when you finally realize it. Do you... First of all, do you realize it when you hit rock bottom, like when you can't move, uh, you've gained a lot of weight, um, perhaps you're drinking, uh, perhaps you're using anger, you know, etc. Doing all these uh, behaviors without actually knowing that something's not right, something's unbalanced. And, and, and that, of course, comes down to awareness. So hopefully as we practice Buddhism, and this is the purpose of, of uh, meditation, is this awareness uh, to know and to be sensitive and intuitive about our lives, our body, our mind, our spirit, you know, these three parts of our existence. And, and again, we can see that through the other parts, such as our breathing, you know, uh, our skin color, you know, like how we, if we are, uh, uh, you know, our skin has become redder or, you know, all the different changes because, you know, skin is one of the biggest organs of our body. So if you, you know, you can see if you have dry skin, uh, that's a sign, nails, etc. There, there's a lot of parts uh, on our skin, especially the face and the tongue. Uh, if you can learn to see that, you you can actually see before it actually happens um, what's in balance. So that's why I say color because sometimes, you know... Um, we don't look at our face close enough. We don't look at our hands. We don't look at our tongue. You know, and again, this comes back to our morning practices, that we're aware of our own body, which only you can be aware of. You can understand the nature of it. It's its ups and downs. And also the, the, the balancing point. And that's where that intuition that should happen when you practice Buddhism. So that's why I said, you know, if you're practicing uh, a removed idea of Buddhism, 
where you're just practicing one of those three aspects, such as spirituality, but you're not practicing the physical uh, or the um, mental practices. You know, and again, a lot of modern Buddhism and, and also ancient Buddhism, you know, is is still stuck in the expedient, which I'll go into later. You know, in chapter two of the Lotus Sutra, we have expedients, right? Upaya. And, and those are the way that people enter into the path. But eventually, as you've entered in the path, the path and you've understood the expedients through a teacher, um, you, you don't become attached to the expedient. You know, one, one priest I remember when I was younger, he said, you know, it's like the Dharma is like a boat. And a lot of times they use this example of going across the, uh, to the other shore. Uh, that's the shore of enlightenment, which it sometimes explains as such, that once you use the boat, you don't hold on to the boat and pull it onto land. Uh, you get up and walk uh, and, uh, and of course, adjust yourself. So, again, this is one thing that I can see overall in Buddhism where people, again, find another addiction through dogma or perceived dogma or, as I said before, as, as I put out a video about Nichirenshu, of course, we had the usual suspects that they are so attached to their own ego that they pretend they understand what Nichiren Shonen was teaching. And of course, it, it always is colored by their own challenges, their own karma. So, I mean, that, that of course, is the sad because it's not serving them. And, and Buddhism is, is a true vehicle to changing oneself. But again... The ego itself is so uh, tricky, you know, and our ignorance is so tricky that a lot of times we can, of course, as we're seeing all over the world, uh, people manifesting that into um, as if it is their uh, right or however they want to ethically uh, consider their behavior or not, you know. So they, of course, rationalize uh, anything uh, into poison, you know. And so, with that being said, the importance of self-training is really essential. And when I say self-training, um, that doesn't mean just doing Buddhism by yourself. Because again, I, I was many, you know, as a as a independent thinking American, and also through my experience of growing up in the seventies and eighties, the term guru or guide was always kind of off for me. Because, of course, we have many bad examples of, of many people who have used it for their own means. But I really, I really understand what and how Buddhism is, needs to be taught through such an, a, a, a way that that relationship is so essential. It's, it's been essential in my life. And it, it's interesting how uh, challenging that was at many times. But, you know, other people really seeing that change and, and really appreciating that change is what made me look deeper into it. And that I, I didn't need to be afraid of it as long as both I was aware, because Buddhism should make you aware. It shouldn't make you a sheep or someone who just doesn't think for themselves and just follows Guru 100%. A good teacher inspires you. Because it was interesting. Somebody just said that, you know, Buddhism is not about necessarily attaining the way. 
but it's a way of us being able to express the way in our daily lives. And I thought that was pretty profound, um, that we're constantly, you know, through our daily practice, our self-training, is just allowing us to express ourselves. And if you look at humans, that's the really big challenge is properly expressing ourselves and then expressing ourselves to others so that, um, you know, of course, there's always room for misunderstanding and how people interpret things. But being aware enough uh, to be able to express yourself to any kind of person, any kind of being, uh, so that it becomes beneficial to them, you know, and that it's not derived from ego. So, you know, even though we, we have a teacher, the important thing is, and this is what's really challenging, is and why you have to have such a drive um, to be sick and tired of samsara and really have that determination to change is that self-training is, is what you have to put in. Uh, it's not going to be your guide that's going to do your practice for you. Uh, the guide is, as I said, using the metaphor of a mountain, is the one who... Uh, you know, shows you the path, how to step, uh, how to pace yourself, which is really important because a lot of people, if they go in the mountains by themselves, uh, they may not be physically ready and they basically don't pace themselves and they become tired and they give up, never get to the top. Uh, and then even the part of coming back down, back into the world. And, and that's another good idea that we need to understand is that our practice doesn't mean abandoning the world. We're not abandoning anything or anyone. Uh, we're simply going up the mountain, purifying ourselves, getting to understand ourselves through self-training, through self-awareness, which is essential. And again, that's not something we're taught in our daily life. Um, and so, therefore, we, we're usually neglecting that. And again, we usually identify ourselves through other people and what other people think and what other people do, and that we don't have this idea of a um, what, not in the sense of I, but as we, you know, in our true nature, uh, see and understand things, uh, and, and then being able to um, look at life from that point rather than something external. That's really challenging because most people focus on the external for validation and happiness and, and everything. And that is the that is the archetype of suffering. You know, if we look at the wheel of suffering, we can see how that forms. But, you know, the self-training is when we, you know, of course, our, our guide shows us how to do a step, but that we really want to understand within that practice again, how to express enlightenment. And that's really important is that we're working through our practice of self-training, how to express enlightenment, how to express yourself. And Buddhahood is in this expression, basically an idea of flexibility of body and mind. And flexibility is something, as we just saw, you know, as I was stating, a lot of people, when they take on the practice of Buddhism, of course, they weren't flexible before, but then they make Buddhism into a dogmatic, judgmental idea, of course, where they elevate their faith or their belief above other people. And uh, that, of course, is a destruction of the Sangha. Now, it's interesting. Now, people would say, well, Nietzsche and Shonen did that. But I, I would argue that that's not the case. I think, again, that is the 
misunderstanding of Nietzsche and Shonen, and usually that's through an unenlightened uh, understanding, awareness, that they just, of course, uh, like most people do in the hero worship, that they have a hero that they, of course, themselves haven't worked towards or studied like Nietzsche and Shonen or practiced like Nietzsche and Shonen, but then they take on this sheer opinion uh, or, how do you say, uh, example of what they interpret Nietzsche and Shonen as, and it's usually so far off that it, it becomes on the realm of ridiculous. And that's why, unfortunately, I feel very uh, compassionate towards them. Uh, and and I feel very sad that uh, you know that that is of course what's keeping them from really understanding this idea of flexibility of body and mind. And, and when a feeling of like self blessing wells up as a result of your practice, you know that will in in a way of they use the word love, but in a way of. Just as we say there's a regular enlightenment, enlightenment, but then there's an ultra-enlightenment, a true enlightenment. The idea of true love, at that time your self-training will move smoothly. And somebody had used the example as smoothly as like a ski over snow. But when, when self-training seems difficult, it is because you have forgotten to practice this appreciation or love. Uh, like trying to ski when there is no snow. And what does this mean? This, of course, we just finished the four, I mean, the uh, six paramitas. And, of course, the first paramita is gratitude. And why do you think that is? That gratitude is true love. Love not being a selfish love, but just an appreciation. And, and it's interesting. I came to use a phrase, and you might have heard me use it before, the idea of, it's a Japanese phrase, arigatai, uh, which means appreciation. You know, and arigatai, if you know the word thank you in Japanese, arigato gozaimasu, uh, or as people say, arigato gozaimasu, that they, uh, that is the idea of appreciation, of gratitude in our thank you. Uh, in our lives, which which ultimately, if you look at the Buddha, uh, his appreciation of life was what compelled him. And, and it's interesting because a lot of people don't have appreciation of their own lives. And I believe that's what practice brings us to, is that it leads us to a natural appreciation, or as we say in the West, using utilizing the idea of true love, but not in a possessive or an attached way, but in a way of gratitude for ourselves, our life, and what we uh, have the opportunity to do. Uh, and that opportunity, of course, is what the Buddha did, is to realize and change and to come to a awareness of our purpose and then to be able to move in that awareness and, and to express it. Because it's interesting... You know, in practicing and teaching Buddhism, to be able to express Buddhism is is the practice and understanding that when you look at someone, like for instance a Buddhist temple, uh, a lot of times you come to a Buddhist temple and the first thing that they do is that they will have you clean. But of course, most people don't want to clean. They, of course, want to understand and gain information. And of course, information 
uh, you know, for a lot of people is just gaining something that they believe makes them more intelligent over other people, uh, but not really with a sense of gratitude of understanding the importance of that moment. And it's in the Lotus Sutra, you know, it says that the appreciation that, that people feel, the gratitude for being able to receive the teaching and realizing that their life is not just here, that they had established long before uh, an affinity with the Dharma, with the Sutra, which is quite extraordinary uh, that, you know, we can have this affinity with the Sutra, with the practice. And that is shows to us, and especially we can't get something we don't have. We have the Buddha nature, we express it, but the greatest way and the why the reason why is the first paramita through gratitude is how we first of all express it that we are motivated because actually when you motivate yourself simply out of ego, you, you don't have enough stamina to continue uh, a good practice. It won't work. Uh, because a lot of times the ego also loathes itself as well. So it, it's 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 both ways. It will love itself, but then it will loathe itself because it's not based on anything stable or maintainable. And that, you know, self-training means to have, a, you know, to, to have a goal. The idea of to make truth, to think of truth, to wish for truth, to have gratitude to truth, you know, and the Buddha's truth, that is why we, you know, the beginning of practice is faith in the Buddha's truth, you know, to allow us to, knowing the truth, you know, having a, a uh, being compelled to understand the meaning of life is really essential. And that's, of course, and first of all, having gratitude for your life. Because if you don't have gratitude for your life, you're not going to care. You're going to waste your life. You're going to abuse your life. You're going to abuse others. Uh, you're going to feel un, uh, unfulfilled. And it's interesting that some people have stated, well, you know, I don't want to come from a place of saying that someone is broken, but you know, that's the idea of Buddha nature. Buddha nature, we're coming from that place. We're just learning how to express it. Because if you didn't have Buddha nature, you wouldn't be able to become a Buddha. If it wasn't already part of your mind. That's really fascinating. Because a lot of times in our life, you'll see people trying to be something they're not. And you can't do that. <laughs> because it's not you. It's a falsehood. It's an illusion. It's a delusion. And... It's important that every day as we wake up, why we have the practice of bowing to the Buddha in the morning after we wash our face and, uh, you know, comb your hair and prepare your clothes is because this is the gratitude that we have for our teacher and because he is the embodiment of that part of our nature that we wish to express. So when you wake up in the morning most especially have a morning routine which of course through your teacher you should learn because again a lot of people in the morning suffer from what's called decision syndrome or decision anxiety not syndrome the decision anxiety uh, 
where the first thing you do when you start waking up is you start making about questions and answer, having to answer them, uh, decisions, and of course, that it isn't always relevant at that moment. So we have to establish ourselves because, again, that's when we're most susceptible that what we start investing in from the moment we wake up, we start taking into our lives just as eating, you know, food or, uh, you know, anything else that might be potentially negative or positive. And so when you wake up having that sense of gratitude, and that's why we have the ritual of, first of all, when we wake up slowly, first of all, getting an opportunity to, again, be alive because nothing's guaranteed. Uh, that once you sleep, that might be your last night, but you again have a chance to wake up. And when you wake up, to show that gratitude to the Buddha, which is bowing to your Buddha nature. And that's what the Buddha essentially is about. So we'll go a little more into self-training. I just wanted to share this with you because, you know, I, I went in my practice for many years uh, with this idea of struggling with self-training. But then once I realized and, and made a decision as to what was the better expression in my life and how I would like to express myself, even when I'm maybe not feeling the best, you know, because we all have off days, but that I realized there's a wonderful way of expressing through our ritual, through our practice, that I know will put me uh, into a, a better state of mind no matter what's going on with my body. And that so the spiritual state, which is what sustains us. So I hope this uh, talk was useful for you. I look forward to our next lecture. So thank you very much. Take care.